Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord. The scripture reading today is from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, Through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus loves the little children of the world indeed. Charlotte, I want to thank you for reading these precious words of Scripture for us this morning. These are words that we are well familiar with, but it's important for us to remind ourselves as to why we believe what we believe. And I want to say a good morning to everyone who is joining us in person, and for those of you who are on the streaming platform watching our service this morning, we also welcome you to this service. This is the second Sunday of 2024, and if you're new, if you are investigating whether or not this is the place that God is leading you to become a covenant partner, a member of this congregation, we want to encourage you to participate in the upcoming Pathway to Membership class that is coming up starting on the 20th. And as we heard in the announcement, those details are there for you. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you haven't been here in a while, and maybe this is your New Year's resolution to be more active and present in worship. We're just glad that you are here with us today. And if you have your Bible, maybe the Bible that you brought with you, or you are welcome to use the Pew Bible, I'd like to have you turn back to our reading, but this time... We're going to start from verses 1 through 5. We heard verses 6 through 11. Let's read verses 1 through 5. It's found on page 917 if you're using our Pew Bible. So that's Romans 5, 1 through 5, page 917. I'll give you a moment to find it. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? And now, Lord, we pray that as we hear and read and learn and inwardly digest your word, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we would embrace these scriptures, we would hold fast to them, we would anchor our blessed hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I hope this doesn't sound strange to you, but while I was on study leave back in early November, I had to go onto our website to find a variety of things I was looking for, and it was there that I started realizing the clarity of National Presbyterian Church's mission and the values that we want to, to sustain and uphold. And as I read through a lot of those documents and the rationale behind them, I felt such gratitude for our church. And I want to thank everyone. I don't know who the players were and the ones who participated, but I want to thank everyone who helped craft these beautiful words that continue to define and direct our congregation for these many years. Thank you. God bless you. I think about the fact that when I started investigating this congregation, that's what drew me in, the mission of this church, the direction that it wants to go. And if you're new here this morning, I would encourage you to visit our website as you're discerning to try to understand, is this the place where God might be calling you? What I love about our church is that we are aspiring to be a disciple-making church. It's listed on our bulletin. I see it written on various literature that we have in our welcome center. It's the mission of our church. And I have it on the screen for you. If you would take a look at it, that the mission of our church, and it's on the bulletin too, it's leading people, leading people to become faithful followers of Jesus Christ together in God's world. And aren't you glad that the second word in our mission statement is people? people, because that's what we're all about. We're about people. And the phrase, become faithful followers, is a, is a simple but a powerful definition of the meaning of the word disciple. And so if somebody says, what does it mean to be a disciple? What is discipleship? It means, it's, it describes people who follow Jesus. And what this means, as I understand it, is that in all the ministries of National Presbyterian Church, and it is somewhat aspirational, but in all the ministries of National Presbyterian, leading people to become faithful followers of Jesus Christ is our why. That's why we exist. 
And this is how we define success. Now, some people have different metrics to define a successful or a healthy church. But the metric that I use is the metrics that Jesus used. He wanted people to come and follow me. If you follow me, you pick up your cross and you follow me. Then he says, you are my disciples. Our goal is that each and every one of us would take the name and the attitude of Jesus with us wherever we go. That we believe here that knowing Jesus is not a Sunday excursion. It's not a set of practices that are encased within the walls of this building. But as we understand discipleship and following Jesus, it means then that we take the name and the nature and the attitude and the mind of Jesus into our relationships, where we live, where we work, where we go to school, the places where we experience leisure and excitement and joy, we take Jesus with, with us. As I think about 2024, our desire with the help of the Holy Spirit is to encourage each and every one of us to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. I believe, and I hope you agree with me, that loving God is what motivates everything we do. And I'm not exaggerating when I say this, that loving God is the greatest thing we could do together as a congregation. Because if we can get that right, everything else will flow out of it. Loving God, that's the greatest thing we can do. And so we want to encourage you in doing that in 2024. And so how do we do it? And as I read through our website, I read through our, our strategic plan and what we're trying to do, I looked at these five church-wide practices, five church-wide practices that we are inviting everyone to be involved in, to participate in, because we're making the bet that if you participate in these five practices, they will shape, they will order they will guide you in ways to follow Jesus. I think we have them on the screen. That we are inviting people to enter into the practice of worship. And I am so grateful to see you here this morning and those of you who are joining us on the streaming platform to see the little boys and the little girls who came forward to hear the story, the wonderful story that Jill shared with them about Jesus being the bridge over the the deep ocean of sin, Jesus being that bridge, worship, the rhythm, the practice of worship. We believe that when you participate in worship, it informs how we follow Jesus. But beyond that, we are also a church that wants to invite people into spiritual formation. That Christianity is not just about sitting in church, it's about loving God with our mind and allowing what we know to be true to shape what we do in the world, to, to grow up into the very nature of Jesus. We want to be known as a church where we care for each other. And it's not just the pastors who are involved in care, but that even within our small groups and within all the relationships, we truly love each other. And we want to care for each other, rejoice with, with each other, grieve with each other, walk with each other. 
And we believe that when we practice the discipline of caring for each other, we're also then experiencing the nature of Jesus. We believe that we as a church are called to serve. We're not here to serve ourselves. This worship service is not about serving our needs. This worship service is all about worshiping and serving God. And we take that posture into the world. After this service, many of you are going to be involved in making sandwiches. Why do we do that? Because it's part of our mission. And it's part of the way in which we live out that mission. We serve, and in serving, we're following Jesus. And then there is one more, and it's the ministry of reconciliation. Over the next five Sundays, then, we are going to unpack these practices through the series that we're calling The Essentials of a Disciple-Making Church. And this is who we are. I'm not telling you anything new. I'm just here to remind you that these are the essentials. This is what we're all about. And wherever you are on the journey. And I remember the first time I walked into the church that I was baptized into, it was at a prayer meeting, and I sat there on that Wednesday night listening to these people pray, and I thought I could never pray like that. I was early on the journey, 17-year-old boy walking into this prayer meeting, early on the journey, but there were people ahead of me. But I was on the journey, and I'm telling you, wherever you are on the journey, we're here to encourage you to go deeper, to draw closer, and to walk more faithfully with Jesus. And these five practices will aid us in that direction. You know, for many, many years, I don't know how many years we've been doing this, but Judith and I have enjoyed the gift, and I call it a gift. It's so good to be alive, right? And one of the gifts that we have is the gift of planting a vegetable garden. So when we lived in Chicago, in our backyard, when we started out, we went large. We planted this big garden in the back of the yard, and it was unmanageable. We failed miserably in our first year. But then in the ensuing years, we just kind of brought it in. And then one day, we were at the Chicago Botanic Gardens, and we saw these beautiful box gardens filled with vegetables. I said, Judith, we can do that. So we went to Home Depot, and we bought the lumber, and we made four box gardens. And it was even more control because we could put the soil in that we wanted, and it was just wonderful. And now that we're here in a new community, we're salivating to get started in building and growing another vegetable garden. But there are a few things we've learned doing this. And some of you don't know this, but I'm going to tell you some things you don't know. The first thing we learned as we've been doing this for years is that we don't grow vegetables. The vegetables grow themselves. How many of you knew that? That's, that's new. Now, aren't you glad you came to church? You learned something new. What we learned is that our job is to create the conditions for the vegetables to grow. So, of course, when we built the box garden, we, we bought really special soil, and we made sure that it was watered, and we positioned the box garden so that it was, it was getting maximum light. When we first planted the garden, it was under all these trees, and we kept wondering, why is it not doing well? 
So we repositioned it. We removed the weeds. And we removed the weeds. And we removed the weeds. <laughs> and then we had these three enemies that we were fighting. We had the rabbits. We had the deer. We had the squirrels. And they were unrelenting until one day we built a fence around our box garden. And like Rocky, we had our fists up. We had won. <laughs> but what we're learning is that nothing happens if the plants don't do what plants do, what they're supposed to do. The seeds germinate, and all of the chemistry that happens in photosynthesis, and things grow. I think this is what's true of disciple-making and following Jesus, that in order to grow, and please hear me, don't throw stones at me now, but in order to grow, we need to know that our pastors and our staff and our elders and our deacons and our small group leaders and our Sunday school teachers and our ushers and greeters, we can't make anyone grow. But what we've decided to do is to set the conditions here within this congregation to create the environment and the culture that will be so inviting that you will want to engage and begin to experience spiritual growth. Creating the conditions, though, is just one part of the process. So you think about the J-term that we're in right now. All these people who have worked hard to prepare lessons, and they're just ready to go. And this class and the classes only work when you show up. And you're showing up because you want to follow Jesus. You're showing up because you love God and you want to grow. That's what gardening has taught us, creating the conditions. And that's what we want to talk about over the next few Sundays. And so you think of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. What I see in this text is that this text clearly has all the right conditions for healthy growth, that God as our Father God the Son, God the Spirit is the one who does the work. God is the gardener. God gets all the credit. God gets all the glory. God gets all the praise. And there are two important words that I want you to notice in the reading, both what we heard from Charlotte and the one that we just read together. The first big word is the word justification. Justification. And here's how I, how I define justification, that it is God's deliberate, God's objective Action. In other words, we didn't cajole God to justify us. God chose to justify. God chose to absolve the guilt and the stain of our sin through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And that's why that children's message was so lovely, that Jesus then builds that bridge. Jesus sets the way so that we can walk across that deep chasm. And when we put our faith in what God has done for us through Jesus, that, that, it, that it is more than enough. Jesus is more than satisfying to save us and to cleanse us from our sin. God declares us righteous. God declares us innocent. God forgives us. And then you'll notice in the reading, you saw that sort of a short list of the evidence or the fruit of justification, that we receive peace with God. It means that 
Whereas there was enmity, there was rebellion, there was opposition to the ways of God. And some of you remember those years, don't you? When you didn't care one bit about the church or God, you dismissed the scriptures and then God saved you. And the enmity and the animosity is gone. And you have now peace with God, peace within yourself, and peace with others because of what Jesus did. And then in verse 6, if you have your Bibles open still, you will see the extent of God's love for us, that God poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says something very interesting, doesn't he? He says that some of us will consider dying for a righteous person. Some of us might, might at times die for a, a good person. But look at what Christ did. Christ, while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, and it's okay to say I'm a sinner. While we were still helpless, unable to come to God, Christ came and he died for us. Who in their right mind would give up their life and die for another person? And Paul says, yes, there are people who do that. But this is the power of God's love for us. And if you're ever here this morning doubting, does God really love me? Paul says, this is how you know that God loves you. God proved his love for you. Despite how you feel, despite what you've done, despite your past, this is how we know that Christ loves us, that while we were still sinners, not while we were good, not while we were righteous, not while we were adequate, not while we were living our best lives, but while we were sinners actively engaged in warfare against the kingdom of God, at our worst, Christ died for us. That's love. But I don't want you to overlook verse 9. If you'll take a look at verse 9. Now that we've been justified by his blood. That's a very, very colorful statement, his blood. Arcaning back to the Old Testament sacrificial system, Jesus being the perfect lamb of God, shed his blood, gave his life on the cross so that, listen to this, that we would be saved. I still use that word. I hope you do. Rescues us. So that through Jesus, we would be saved, we would be rescued from the wrath of God. And then he mentions the second big word, justification. And then he mentions, as we heard it in the reading from Charlotte, we heard the word reconciliation three times. Did you notice that? In verses 10 through 11, the word reconciliation is mentioned. And this is just another way of saying we're now at peace with God. Whatever estranged us, whatever separated us, whatever alienated us from God, because of what Jesus did, the gap is closed. 
We're now at one with Christ. We've been restored. There is friendship and there is intimacy with God. It's not that we reconciled to God. No, we were actively going the other way. It's that God, in his love, reconciled us to himself. You know, the difficult thing about the word reconciliation is that it can be a very abstract word. It can be so abstract. Because, of course, you know, you think about it, God comes to us. It's from God. It's God word. It can be very one-dimensional. And so what I want to do with the rest of my time before I close is simply walk with you through the possibilities of what it means to live within the power and the strength of a reconciled life in the world. So we are reading the scriptures this morning and it's clear that reconciliation is downward. It's not from us to God. It's from God to us. God sending his son, Jesus Christ. He comes down to our level, put on our shoes, walked in our skin, removes the barrier of sin keeps, that keeps us from confessing and submitting and repenting and living in obedient faith. That's what God did, but it's more than that. Reconciliation clearly is downward, God coming to us. But I also believe reconciliation is inward. And so I'm thinking about that wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 where Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything becomes new. And that newness, it starts inwardly and it works itself personally and outward. We experience, as we read earlier, peace and love and the assurance that we're children of God. How is that working out for us? I mean, this is what it says. Do you see things in your life that are changing? It's a new year, of course. But do you see things in your life changing, new things happening? Does the work of Jesus make a difference in who we are? I'm involved in a little J-term group downstairs, and we read through parts of Colossians 3, and Paul gives this very colorful imagery that before we knew Jesus, he says, we were clothed in the rags of sin. And he says, now that you are in Christ, you're a new creation. Something is happening on the inside of you. You take off the garb of sin. You take off all those things that we used to do. We cast them aside. And he says, we put on then the new nature that is in Christ. And it's a horrible list of things that we need to put away. And of course, we can't do it by ourselves, but through the mercy of Christ, we're able to do that. And then because we're in Christ, we put on the, the, the qualities of Christ of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and we forbear with each other and we forgive each other and most of all, we bind it all together with love. How is it working out for us? Are we being changed by the power of God's reconciling love and is it evident to others who see us? So it's that inward. But then I also believe that reconciliation then is outward. God pours his love into us. God's peace then begins to superintend our lives in such a way that when we leave here, even while we're here in the church, how we relate to people 
it is evident that we are reconciled to God. So how is that working out for you? Do we exhibit signs in how we treat our spouses, in how we treat our children, in how we respond to our parents, in what we say about our neighbor? Is it evident that something has changed within us and we are living that new life before others? And so I went back to our website again, and I would encourage you to do the same. And I found the church's vision. It was, a, it was a document that was written on race and reconciliation. It was adopted by our elders on May 24th, 2021. If you've never read it, go to our website and you'll find it. And I have one line from it that I just want to share with you. So it's a powerful document. And here's what it says, and it's there on the screen, that our elders and our leaders and as a congregation, we are praying to become vessels repositories of reconciliation that God can use to help end the scourge. And the scourge there, of course, if you look at the, the context at which it was written, it was in response to the chaos of 2020 with all of the racial enmity and the strife that had infected our nation that National Presbyterian Church in 2021 and her leaders decided we need to respond. We need to, to reassert who we are, that we are vessels of reconciliation. And we want to end the scourge that's taking over our nation and the church of Jesus Christ. Kudos to those leaders. Recently, Judith and I watched Martin Scorsese's highly, highly acclaimed, but I think a very disturbing movie, Killers of the Flower Moon. And chances are it's going to win all kinds of uh, awards at the academies in March. And if you have seen it or you've read the book, when the Osage Indians discovered oil in 1920s Oklahoma, this tribe, we're told, became the richest people on the planet. They discovered oil. But what followed after that is so sad that when the nation heard that this small tribe in Oklahoma had discovered oil, trainloads of people started arriving. Their hearts were filled with greed. Many of them were corrupt. They were mendacious. They were murderous. They were lusting for money. They had no compassion, not a vestige, not a smidgen of compassion for these people who had, been, who had been living on the land. Some of them even under false pretenses married the Osage women and then they killed them without any retribution for many of them with the plan to inherit the mineral rights. That's troubling. It's been quite a while since Judith and I watched that movie and I still feel emotionally scarred. Three hours of agony. But what really got to me as I watched the movie and I was watching it through the lens of a Christian as a pastor, here's what I found so disturbing is that these vile acts were being committed by people who were outwardly Christian. They were Bible-reading, church-going, religious, sin-confessing Christians. There were several scenes 
in the movie where you saw them in church talking to the priest, confessing to the, the priest, quoting scripture. But what you don't see, you don't see any attempt at peacemaking. You don't see any attempt at justice, at outward reconciliation. You don't hear anyone standing up and screaming, this is wrong, as they murdered their brothers and sisters in the Osage community. I'm telling you this morning that reconciliation is God word, yes, and praise the Lord, God has redeemed us. I'm telling you this morning that it, it, it has an impact on who we are, but I'm also telling you this morning that because we're reconciled to God, we live differently in the world and how we relate to each other and how we relate to people who are different from us. On this Martin Luther King weekend, reconciliation is outward. And there are places in our nation, as you know, where walls have been built between people of different races and ethnicities, we know. But it's not just a race issue. There are families, couples, husbands and wives who have been walls and they need to be reconciled. There are parents and children Adult children, teenagers, they've been walls, built walls between each other that need to be reconciled between neighbors, between people of different political persuasions. I can't tell you how many times I've heard it said that our house is divided. Dad's on one side, mom's on the other side, or the parents are on one side, the kids are on another side politically, and they despise each other. And yes, most of all, we need reconciliation between nations. And as followers of Jesus, we do not get a pass. We are not just here to do a Sunday thing, folks. We're here to follow Jesus outside this building and be people who seek reconciliation. And so if somebody has offended you, if somebody has stepped on your toe or said something you didn't like or maybe you did that to someone in the name of Jesus, I say to you this morning that as a sign that we're followers of Jesus, that this thing called Christianity is real, then I urge you to be reconciled, seek reconciliation. I often say to men, and I talk to a lot of men who are struggling in their marriage, and they say they're Christians, and I say to them, isn't this wonderful, though, that we get an opportunity to test out the power of the gospel? Because if the gospel is really true, and I'm struggling as a man in my marriage, and this is an opportunity for me to apply the gospel to my daily living, and so prove that Jesus is greater than the troubles we're having in our marriage. In fact, Look at this passage because here's what Jesus instructs of us. And it's an odd verse, isn't it? Look at it. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and I want you to bear in mind that Jesus is speaking primarily to people like us, religious people. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember, now watch this, that your brother or your sister has something against you. The way we would read that in America today is, I'm there offering my, my, my gift at the altar, and I remember that my brother or my sister has something against me. 
then I'm going to wait for my brother or my sister to come and say, Ray, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. If your brother or your sister has something against you, Jesus says, you, but you said, Jesus, I didn't do anything. I'm just minding my own business. He started it. She said this. Jesus says it doesn't matter. Leave your gift. You know that there's reconciliation that needs to happen. Leave your gift there before the altar and go first. Be reconciled to your brother or your sister. And then, and then, and then. You can come and authentically offer your gift. That's what Jesus is calling us to. My point in saying that is if we live this way, we are following Jesus. This is the way we live. This is the way we roll. This is what we're called to do. We extend the mercy of God to our enemies with whom we are estranged. And in this way, we're following Jesus when he was hanging on the cross, looking down the Roman soldiers, the religious leaders, the mocking crowd, the scared disciples. What did he do to deserve that? And yet on the cross, he said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm not suggesting that that's a hop, skip, and a jump. But I'm saying that through the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, we are then able as reconciled people to choose the path of peace. And I urge you to do that in the places where outward reconciliation needs to happen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's children say, Amen. let us pray. Almighty God, we lift up our hearts to you. We acknowledge that we are frail children of the dust, that we are easily turned aside. We are very sensitive. We hold grudges. We can be resentful. We can be bitter. And Lord, most of all, sometimes we struggle to forgive. But we thank you again, Lord, for the transforming power of the gospel that we've been justified by grace through faith in what Christ did for us. And most of all, Lord, just as you reconciled us and brought us home, you've given us the power to live transformed lives. Help us to do that, we pray. And so follow Jesus into the world. In Christ's name, amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprayers.org. That's nationalprayers.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week. <laughs>